Hello, dear Piffles. Today on Positive Feedback Loop, we are excited to have the opportunity to speak with Lynn Albright, who works as an activist seeking freedom for her son, and Silk Road founder Ross Albright. That's right. Also known as Dread Pirate Roberts. Ross's Silk Road was a darknet website that acted as a kind of Amazon for narcotics and fake IDs prior to its shutdown and his arrest. The FBI estimated that through its lifetime, the Silk Road saw around 9.5 billion bitcoins or around $1.2 billion in 2013 in transactions, largely illegal drug sales. Today, Ross Albright is serving two life sentences without parole on all nonviolent charges. The case of Ross Albright is complex and reads a little bit like a movie with rogue FBI agents and murder-for-hire allegations, but ultimately, his culpability as founder and main operator of the Silk Road are clear and established. However, his sentencing raises fascinating questions about the war on drugs. Sentencing for nonviolent offenses, federal prison policy, and the nature of punishment itself. So we are very happy to welcome Lynn on this most fertile conversational space. Make sure to check out the show notes if you want to learn more about the case or Lynn's work. And now, on with the episode. Positive Feedback Loop. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Positive Feedback Loop podcast. Today, we have a very special episode with a guest. Um, But before I introduce my guest, let me just make sure I introduce my co-hosts, Stephanie and Luis. Welcome back, guys. Welcome to this episode. Hi, everybody. It's so great to be here again. Hey, everyone. And our guest is Lynn Albright. She's an activist, public speaker, uh, and she's a CEO of the Ross Albright Defense Effort. She has been speaking at conferences and events for the last you know few years i think it's been five or six years um and and she's here to tell us about her experience about how her son has um you know been through the criminal justice system her experience and learnings around activism in general and you know the drug war drug trade the drug trade in general so lynn thank you so much for joining here i know um this is a great opportunity and you know welcome to the show yeah, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So great. I mean, to get started, um, how are you doing today? Where are you? And can you explain <laughs> like how things are going? Sure. I'm in Colorado where I moved to be near Ross because he was in a maximum security prison with violent gangs and violent criminals, even though he is nonviolent and um, has a very low security score, but because he has a life sentence. Um, for all nonviolent charges, I might add, he was put there and um, he is not there anymore because he refused to assault another inmate. Uh, sometimes the some inmates and gangs want guys to uh, assault someone, like if they think they're a snitch or something. So they wanted, well, not wanted, they were telling him he had to and um, he refused. And by refusing, you know, he's like, I'm not going to beat up some guy. I don't, I'm not violent. I don't do that. I'm, you know, no. And when you don't do, when you don't do what they want, um, you're, then you're the one that gets beaten up and it can be very badly beaten up. I've talked to a woman whose husband ended up in the hospital, uh, concussion and, you know, you can be killed for that matter. People are killed in there. So he uh, went into protective custody, which essentially was an eight by 10 metal box, (laughs) with no window uh, for three and a half months. And that now they have moved him to Tucson, um, which is for people who are targets. So it's much safer and more relaxed. Um, that's a long way of saying that I'm today, I am packing up my stuff to my husband and I are driving to, um, well, basically u- ultimately Tucson to relocate to be near him. So kind of leading a nomadic life, um, because I think it's so important for him to have that lifeline to family and, and the outside world. And so and we're able to do it because we have an Internet business. We don't have little children. We, you know, we sold our house already. So, um, yeah, so we're able to do it and um, we are doing it. So today I've been packing all day. So 
Thank, <laughs> thanks for that. And just Ready. for the audience, uh, just a little bit of a you know background information. Ross Albright, uh, he created the well. He it's been claimed that he created the Silk no, Road. He said he did. Okay, he he so created he created mm -hmm. the Silk Road uh, dark on the dark web, which facilitated um, drug transactions online on the dark web. Well, so, can I say more about what it was? Of course, yeah. Actually, um, can you explain what did your son build? Yeah, he, you know, Ross was, um, and he still is, very much a, a freedom guy. He he had gotten involved in the Ron Paul campaign, and um, was really excited about the idea of a free, truly free market. He actually created a video game for people to have that experience. When that wasn't published, he went to the internet, and he came up with a concept and created uh, the Silk Road, which the point of the Silk Road was for people to have a truly free market where they could buy and sell what they chose as long as a third party wasn't harmed. So, And also, it was only using Bitcoin. You could only use Bitcoin for the exchange, which made Silk Road the first proof of concept for Bitcoin. And many people have told me if it weren't for Silk Road and Ross's vision that Bitcoin would be nowhere. It would be No one would have even heard of it, hardly. So um, it, he saw the potential for monetary freedom with digital currency, and he um, created this. Now, no third party was allowed to be harmed. So that meant that no victims could be made from what was sold there. So no child pornography or anything related to pedophilia was permitted. Stolen property was not permitted. Um, violent services were not permitted. I mean, there's a whole list. And I've actually had a high-level administrator, Curtis Green, say that they used to comb through the site to make sure and kick people off who were breaking that rule. So um, it wasn't just a drug market. It wasn't even necessarily intended to be, but the anonymity of it did attract a lot of drug sales. It was overwhelmingly small amounts of cannabis. Uh, the percentages of hard drugs were minuscule. You wouldn't know that from the media or from the uh, trial even, but that is academic papers and the evidence proves that. Although ultimately, I know I'm aware that the, um, the Silk Road sold, there were hundreds of millions of dollars in drugs being uh, sold throughout the, the network. I'm not sure because the, the government's figure for the total sales was 183 million. So maybe, yeah, maybe that's, you know, that's 183. I don't know, it's hundreds but it's 183 million. It wasn't all drugs. I mean, you know. Yeah, and, and there like some, I say, most of it was marijuana. Mostly marijuana. Pardon me. So I, I believe some firearms were also sold. Um, well, now I, that's a very confusing thing because they weren't, or there were no sales. Um, at first, there were some up, and then they took them off and put them in something called the Armory, which was up for a couple of months, and then that was taken down. And after that, no weapons were allowed at all, including brass knuckles or any of that, anything that was a weapon. And there were no registered sales of weapons. But so and then Curtis Green, that admin, said, no, there were no weapons. So I'm I was never on the site. I don't know. But if there were, it was very quickly taken down. You did. You, you touched upon something that I think is really interesting. I know that you've had a lot of support from the libertarian and the Bitcoin community in your in your drive to uh, uh, support your son. And how has that experience been? I don't know how involved you were in that community originally, and how has it kind of been to reach out to them and get their support uh, in your in this time that you've been? Well, I wasn't involved at all. I mean, I, I had heard of Bitcoin because Ross told me about it. In fact, he was very excited about it. Um, and I even asked him if I should get some, and he goes, no, Mom, it's too volatile. And I'm like... Wow, that was bad advice. It was probably about 50 cents. But anyway, um, you know, but I wasn't, I still, frankly, do not totally understand it. But uh, I'm not that, I don't have that kind of brain. But, uh, you know, I, and I've always been, you know, my husband and I are entrepreneurs. We, we, we are pretty independent people. I'm not a big government fan. But at the same time, I wasn't actively involved in the liberty or libertarian communities at all. But when this happened, um, the whole philosophy behind the site was very libertarian. And actually, the judge at sentencing even said that we know you started the site for philosophical reasons, which she's admitting she knows it wasn't started as a drug site. 
And we just don't know that it's a philosophy you've left behind. So we have to give you life in prison. I mean, that's basically what she said at sentencing, which is a complete violation of the First Amendment. But um, so I wasn't. And I um, what happened is other people were contacting me. They were contacting me to help and introducing me to people. And I would take any help I could get. You know, I still will. I ended up going to Austin after Ross was arrested to South by Southwest and was just posting flyers and just trying to get people to listen to me and getting trying to get a pass to different things to meet speakers. And and I ended up meeting uh, some libertarian and Bitcoin people in Austin. And that led to me being introduced basically to uh, the Porcupine Freedom Festival in New Hampshire. Uh, one of the people in Austin said, hey, I'm going up to New Hampshire. I'm going to make some T-shirts for Ross. And I'm like, well, I'm living near there. I'll go with you and hand out flyers. And he goes, well, no, you should speak. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. And then he goes, no, no, you should. So then um, he said, I know the, the organizers. I'm going to connect you. And so then they go, well, sorry, the deadline's passed for speakers. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm off the hook, right? And then they got back to me and go, wait a minute, um, we've decided we do want you and we want you on the busiest night in the biggest pavilion to speak. And so I'm like, oh my God, I've got to speak now. And um, did, and Nick Gillespie of Reason Magazine was in the audience and he asked me to be on Reason TV and that really started me speaking publicly. So, and kind of into the whole libertarian thing. Yeah, but I but I wasn't before, but I've it's been great. It the peop I've there's been so much support, such good people. I would say it's a silver lining to this nightmare we've been living in is the all amazing, wonderful people we've met. And you know, like um an Arcapulco. You know, there's just and other other conferences, it's just been really great. So I just wish Ross could meet everybody. Yeah, that's right. Just another quick background for the audience. I met uh Lynn had the opportunity to actually have Breakfast, breakfast yeah. with her at Anarchapuka in 2019. So that was last month and good yeah. times. Yeah. yeah, it was. It sounds like you've become <laughs> a public figure of sorts. And you've also kind of been thrown into this field of blockchain technologies and dark web. And probably you're probably researching a lot about a topic that you never thought you'd be <laughs> learning so much about. How does that play out in your life now that you're what how much of a switch was it for you did you have a technology background I, know. You know? <laughs> I didn't even have a smartphone oh, I had a, I got my first smartphone two weeks before Ross was arrested uh it was a hand-me-down for my daughter I mean I was like no I have no technology background or real talent for it but um you know at my age and you might know this from your parents it's like learning a foreign language as an adult Mm -hmm. instead of growing up with it as a child. And I, I'll never be fluent in it like you guys. I know that, you know, I'm not as comfortable with it, but I've become, actually for my age group, I'm probably like the head of the class at this point because it's been such <laughs> yeah. a steep learning curve, you know? It's like I've had to, but I still, ugh, it's I, I need somebody to sit down with me and walk me through all the things I need to know. But anyway, and I'm actually literally going to try to find somebody to do that. <laughs> but, um, but now you're so a public no, figure in the space. So what does that mean yeah. for you? Well, you know, I've had to learn law a lot. That's what I've really, um, and I actually, it's pretty interesting to see how the government has trampled on all of our First Amendment, Second, uh, Second Amendment, no, not Second Amendment, First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Sixth Amendment, Eighth Amendment rights. I'm sure there's plenty of people who that, argue that the government's pardon? trampled on our Second Amendment too, but... That's well, not what we're talking about. <laughs> well, well, no, that's a different topic. I was just thinking yeah. as, as as applied to Ross's case. Yeah, you can. So anyway, I've learned had it's been a steep learning curve. I had never even tweeted. You know, I had never been on Twitter. I mean, you know, I'm it's it's so I had to learn social media and all that. I've and some some stuff about crypto. I certainly wouldn't be able to go get up and speak about crypto in any intelligent way. But um you know, I understand it to a degree. You know, I know what it's worth. I'm very interested every day to know what it's <laughs> worth. Um, and uh, at the moment. Um, and now we're in the realm of politics because we're trying for a clemency with the president. So that's a whole other thing. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of constantly a learning curve, really. 
Um, cause people are always coming to me with things, you know, Hey, you gotta, you gotta see this video or learn about this or that. And, and I would, I don't always have time, but I try and, um, you know, it's a lot. And, and what's it been like to kind of step into the media environment? I know that, I don't know how, what's your relationship been with the media since, um, Ross's trial and, uh, everything since, since then. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, they, <laughs> the mainstream media, I do not trust at all. Um, to be honest, um, I have had them distort things, put total misinformation up, uh, take things I said in two different parts of an interview, put them together and make them mean something else. Uh, that was the wall street journal. I mean, we're talking any... about, yeah, so I, I do not now alternate alternative media is different, but, um, I'm afraid of the mainstream media, frankly. I've had, I have not had good experiences. Uh, not, I wouldn't say all of them, but I feel like what my experience of them is, is they want, they love the sensationalism. They want the clickbait for the most part. And they, that's what they focus on. And so they're fairly shallow in their coverage of things and they echo each other. And I don't really see that it's, um, gets very deeply into what's really going on. Do you have any examples of them, something they've taken out of context that like you said, uh, just so our <laughs> listeners, if they've read those articles, maybe they'll, they'll that'll mm. recontextualize them. Well, I can't. That was so long ago. I just remember at the time going, I didn't say that because it was printed. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I went back to the video and I'm like, oh, well, I said a little bit over here and a little bit over here. Mm. And and it just made it totally different. Um you know, Newsweek had on their cover stuff about Ross and Silk Road that was not true. I think it might have had child porn up there. The government said there was no child porn. They, they've combed that site. There was no child porn on that site. Um, and it was right on the cover of Newsweek. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I can't remember all of it. But it, what I would say is don't believe the media just automatically. Don't. Because you won't, you're not necessarily getting the true picture. How did your relationships with your with your family and your friends change after the arrest of Ross? You know, really, they didn't. Um, you know, it's been tough on our immediate family, very hard. Um, you know, it's just we're so sad to not have Ross with us. Um, to ha this is really hard on families. Very I'm sure. Yeah. It's like you're doing time along with your loved one, and that's true of all of the people I've met in the prisons. Um, it's really hard. Um, the criminal justice system is absolutely appalling what they're doing to people for so much. It's so much worse than it used to be in this country um, in terms of length of sentences and the severity. Why do you think that is? The drug war. Have... I think it's because of the drug war. So meaning. But anyway, just to say the rest of our family, no one's shunned us or some people have had that happen. Mm -hmm. Curtis Green said it happened to him, but he was a top-level admin. But our family have stood by us and all our friends. So it's been really great. I mean, they've really not only stood by us, they've stepped up to put up bail money and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, donations. and Anyway. That's, that's really great um, to have that support. Yeah. I'm sure Ross appreciates it. You know, he doesn't. Yeah. And they know um, Ross. Ross is a good person. You know, he's an exceptionally good person. So they know us and they know Ross and they know, you know, this is wrong. What was the courtroom experience like? And, and <laughs> all of, you know, the heat of what was happening the moment after his arrest, were you surprised by anything about the experience that you didn't know existed or that would happen? Yeah, certainly was. Um, I, I went into that courtroom thinking, okay, well, we're going to get a fair shake. And this is America and we have a justice system and it's all, you know, we'll be able to say our piece and, you know, Ross will and his lawyers. And that's not what happened. And, and what I've learned is that this is why 98% of people plea to, I mean, plead guilty because they're bullied and threatened by prosecutors who say, if you go to, to trial, you will lose, which you probably will. It's completely the deck is stacked against the defendant. And then you'll get a worse punishment. We have lost fair trials, as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> uh, on our website, we go into all the different violations of what happened in that trial. But it was absolutely appalling. And 
Our lawyer wasn't allowed to bring witnesses. Uh, he wasn't allowed to cross-examine effectively. Uh, evidence that was coming out was suppressed. Uh, the fact that there were two corrupt agents all over that site who had full reign on the site and could, um, and they're now in prison, was not allowed to be known to the jury. Um, it goes on and on. And I, I, it's very alarming to me that our Justice Department has, be, has been weaponized, as far as I can tell. Um, even before trial, there was so much unfairness um, the defense wasn't allowed the witness list until the weekend before, which is unheard of. You know, they need time to prepare cross-examination, um, weren't allowed to bring a Bitcoin witness. When Ross, the court ruled that Ross would have his laptop and could go through the evidence, and um, they there was all kinds of delays, and it was like they were playing out the clock till the, till the trial. I mean, we had to go back to court to protest it, and... Um, and so they they loaded on ter several terabytes. I think it's like four terabytes of material for, to go through, which is humanly impossible. And after trial, the defense kept going through it and found a login by Dread Pirate Roberts, a top level admin who Ross was supposedly the Dread Pirate Roberts. He logged in seven weeks after Ross was arrested. Ross was in solitary. Wasn't Ross? <laughs> but your case that you've already appealed the case, which is why, um, and obviously the appeal did not uh, succeed, which is why you're hoping for a pardon from the president. Mm -hmm. So having gone through this whole process, now having exhausted all your other options, do you think that you should have taken the plea deal to begin with? If you mm -hmm. if you were able to go back, would you have suggested mm -hmm. that to Ross? Yeah. Let me just finish what I was saying before, which is the other thing that was found in the evidence was evidence of tampering that the jury saw tampered evidence and we weren't able to find that before trial because there was so much buried. And this is a typical thing they do. As far as the plea deal, Ross didn't get a real plea deal. The first thing they um, offered was 10 years uh, minimum, ten, a 10 year um, sentence, but they were going to recommend life. In other words, there was no um, ceiling. So they were, they said, we're offering you 10 years, but we're going to recommend life to the judge which we know she would have given because she gave him life. Then he said no. So then they said, okay, we're going to pile on the kingpin charge, which is absurd as applied to Ross. And um, Can you explain what the kingpin years. charge is, what you mean by that? It's a um, continuing criminal enterprise charge that um, is basically saying Ross is equivalent to Pablo Escobar or El Chapo, who, you know, and, and it's usually reserved for violent kingpins with huge networks who are controlling what goes on. Very few of them, if any, believe in voluntary interaction and the uh, non-aggression principle, which is what, you know, the uh, Silk Road mm -hmm. was based on. And also at trial, you to, to um, convict someone of a kingpin charge, uh, the jury has to rule on three different aspects of it. They ruled on none, and they still, the judge allowed that kingpin charge to be convicted, which was... Uh, against the law and um, got away with it. And so anyway, the second t time they said, we'll give you 20 years, but we're still going to recommend life. It's not really a plea deal. A plea deal is you plead guilty and we'll give you X and that's what you get. But they didn't really offer that to Ross. So it wasn't really a plea deal. Isn't it possible, though, that in by Ross, by defending, following, you know, the the advice of his defense attorney and taking a ideological stand, may have worsened his ultimate uh, judgment in, in front of the judge? Yeah, that is possible, and I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know. If if it had been a real ten year offer, he would have taken it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he would have taken it. But um, you know, I guess they didn't want to risk. Uh, her giving life, and then you ha you can't go to trial and hope to be, you know, exonerated. I guess you you know you can't appeal it. You can't appeal it when you plea. Yeah, that is correct. So we thought, well, we'll go to the appellate court. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. So I don't believe they took the case, though. The Supreme Court heard the case. They didn't dismiss it the first round, and then they did finally did. So you're right, they didn't. But it, yeah. it was it was a petition of certiorari was submitted to the Supreme Court. Twenty one 
organizations joined it saying it's important, this should be heard from both sides and all sides of the political spectrum, uh, right, left, and uh, libertarian, basically. A a bunch of organizations signed it, and um, they still decided basically to kick the can down the road because it was addressing, one of the things it was addressing, it had two points it was addressing, but one was the Fourth Amendment protection of all of our uh, internet browsing habits and history, which as of now, because they have not ruled on it, uh, is based on a ruling from four decades ago and what's called the third party doctrine, which says, well, you, um, you know, your IP provider, internet service provider has um, your info, so you've given up your right to privacy. And <laughs> that's, you know... I believe the, uh, I, I was reading a little bit about this because I, I read through the course, the, the court brief yeah. for the, uh, the appeal. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the court was saying, because we treat it basically the same as if you made a phone call and you give mm-hmm. that information to the phone company, right. the government is, has access to that information because it is now public in a sense. It's based it is on now the dial no longer telephone. yours. Yeah, yeah, it's based on the dial telephone in 1979. That's what the ruling's based on. And, you know, the amount of information that's available now through our phones is not even <laughs> light years different. You know, but our medical records, our, our religious if, if I'm not mistaken, political affiliate, all yeah, that's available. And the law is not keeping up. The law is not keeping up with technology. But if I'm not mistaken, that applies specifically to where the information is going, not to exactly what the information is. It's talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. where the connections are going, like where your IP that address where you're connecting to, not so much the actual data that's being sent. I don't think that uh, uh, that was true. Um, the dial telephone because you didn't get any data. Well, that's I exactly don't it. It's think who that you're is calling. correct about. Yeah. No, I, well, I don't know. I, I mean, that's not what Sandra Sotomayor said. That's not what uh, a lot of articles I've read. I, I've well, not read the law itself, so you may know better than I do. But I'm speaking uh, specifically about just without a warrant that they can right, they can check just the connections and just where your IP address is connecting to, where mm. the information is like going. Like with a telephone, who's calling who kind of a thing. Exactly. Like, kind of more metadata than it is. Not, well, actual, that may be true. Uh, yeah. I, I, either way, it's not protecting. It's, it's, either way, yeah, it's, that is correct. it's relevant it's still, information. It is still the information well, the government is able to access. Well, it shows um, that we're relatively easy. No oversight at all. So if you're accessing certain sites... You know, let's say sexual sites. It's your sexual orientation. They could use that to blackmail officials. Um, they can use it to persecute political enemies uh, with no oversight, in secret, without a warrant, without probable cause. But my uh, my understanding was they can scarf up a lot of information, but I'll have to look into that. I mean, something we learned from this case, at least for, for me, is the fact that we we have cases that are dealing with now very new technologies with using blockchain bitcoin yeah. with using um, internet protocols and such i'm sure that there are many juries and judges who are hearing cases about topics that they would have never thought about even considering which uh, shows how quickly technology is changing but also uh, how much that inf- affects the court system, how much that affects lawmaking and law enforcement you know, and law enforcement as well. Like what, yeah. what do you, how do you know where the boundaries are for a warrant? For example, if it's listing how to deal with certain technologies that didn't exist. <laughs> so it's, exa- well, that's another, why the law difficult. needs to be changed. Yeah, another interesting <laughs> side of this that I, that I, I was reading a case about, um, a theft that uh, some group stole a whole bunch of cryptocurrency and because it's cryptocurrency you know what is being done with the money but you don't know who's doing it so mm-hmm. it was it, it the government had i mean not the government the company that actually the group that generated the cryptocurrency originally had to basically flag the cryptocurrency the actual uh units of cryptocurrency yeah, and say hey don't deal with these people we don't know who they are or what they're doing, but just know what you're dealing with. They're thieves. Wow. How does the government deal with that? Yeah, and the other point is a lot of the judges are quite old and um, and not technological at all. 
And, and that is also true of the juries. Certainly Ross's jury was hardly a jury of his peers. They, they I don't think a lot of them had a clue about Bitcoin or technolo the technological intricacies of the case. And a lot of them work for the government. So, I, you know, I, I, I uh, think that's a problem, too. They're, they're, 20th, they're using 20th century law in a 21st century context, and it doesn't, it's not cutting it. You mentioned something else about what you think the root of this case is, and it's about uh, drug law and the war on drugs. And I, I would like to just kind of circle around, around back to that. Uh, what are your thoughts on the way that the government is currently carrying out the war on drugs, and how do you think that it should be carrying out this? Uh, how should we be treating drugs? Okay, and I, I don't necessarily think it's the root of Ross's case. I think the reason they went after Ross was the Bitcoin, but that's a whole other subject. As far as the drug war, I've learned a lot about the drug war since this all all happened. I wasn't really it wasn't really part on my radar at all before, and um, you know the drug war has been going on for over forty five years. It's cost taxpayers over a trillion, with a T, dollars, and uh, people are still using drugs. They can't even keep drugs out of the prison. And it obviously doesn't work. It creates violence, just like prohibition did uh, for alcohol. And um, it's, it's destroying Mexico. I mean, we were there, and, um, you know, it's destroying. Mm -hmm. In Acapulco, the tourist industry there is suffering terribly. No... Uh, travel agents won't send people to to Acapulco because it's da they say it's dangerous, and this is a legitimate businesses are being ruined by these drug cartels. That's and, true. Um, yeah, it's pretty and cheap it's to going, go there though. If you do go, it's yeah, uh, very and affordable. I, I didn't find it scary or anything, but um, it you know so it doesn't accomplish that. But what it does accomplish is it's making tons and tons of money for um, a lot of people. And it's also shredding our constitutional protections. There's this thing called the drug exception, where if, if drugs are involved, it's kind of like the Bill of Rights goes out the window and it's okay. And um, it's feeding mass incarceration. There's a guy who is in prison with Ross, um, not this one, but the in Colorado, where, where pot is legal. He's got a life sentence for marijuana. Life, he's already served 13 years. Tony, wow, he's, a, he's a friend of Ross. Yeah, it's evil is what it is. Yeah. And um, it's because it was his third strike, which is an evil law. But the point is, he's in Colorado where it's legal, where people are making legitimate money from it, and or at least it's legal on the state level, and he's serving life, nonviolent guy. So the, the drug, without the, you know, you can just look at the top, anti-legalization lobbyists and you can't count the cartels because they're kind of behind the scenes but it's the pharmaceutical companies because of all the amazing advances that cannabinoids are having in in people's health um private prisons they're filling the prisons both private and public with with drug offenders over 60 percent of the people in prison in the united states are, are drug offenders the prison guard unions because it's a jobs program for these people i mean where i am right now there's 12 prisons all around me. Uh, this place would go into a deep depression if they stopped the drug war. It's a jobs program. Right. And then the police go, uh, unions also, and the um, alcohol and beer companies are big lobbyists against marijuana legalization. So it's follow the money, qui bono, who benefits? Well, not the taxpayer, certainly. No results are happening that are any good. Um, and, but the government and all these subsidiary industries are are benefiting and they're benefiting they're 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 basically benefiting from human beings being put in cages that is human trafficking in my opinion you make money off human beings you're talking about human trafficking this is our government this is our country and it's 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 not accomplishing anything and as far as helping the situation with drugs at all so, and it's since the drug war, life sentences have quintupled, quintupled. There's a lot of, there's nonviolent drug offenders like Ross serving life. There's 17,000 nonviolent offenders serving life. The uh, prison population has metastasized 800%. If it were a state, it would be bigger than 11 states. The population of the prisons 
is bigger than the population of 11 of the states in this country. This is this is terrible. We're the biggest incarcerator in the world, and it's because of the drug war, due to the do, drug war. Do you, you know have breaks thoughts? my heart? You Sorry, know what really breaks my heart? Yeah, you know what really breaks my heart? I think a lot of this is the separation of these people from their families. So it's not those individuals in the in the prisons, like you mentioned, but it's also everyone that's tied to them, everyone that's been tied to them in the past, and their communities. That's right. right. So that's what really breaks my heart. I feel like well, it's something that we really need to talk more about. I, well, that's, that's, that's actually a question I had. Uh, recently, there was a passing of a Federal Crime Justice Reform Act, uh, I believe last year, I think it was it was signed into law already. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? I know the federal prison population is not as large as overall the state. It's only a fraction of the state populations. But it did loosen up some of the, the, the things that we kind of encompass now as part of the, the war on drugs. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on this or any idea of um, if mm. it's a step in the right direction or if it's too little too late. If I could circle back, because I just really want to comment on the families just for a second, uh, that you brought up. Um, I go to the prison regularly. I've been doing it for over five years. I get to know the families. I uh, talk to them. I hear their stories, and it's heartbreaking. And I see the little kids and the older kids, and they're clinging to their dads. They're they're so happy to see them. They're all over them. Uh, and then when we leave, it's a very different child. This is a child who is sobbing, shattered, and crushed. I've had moms say to me, my kids were getting straight A's until uh, this happened. They're trying to hold the, and now everything's falling apart. They're trying to hold their families together. They, they're they deprived of their father or their brother or whoever it is. And that, you know, of course, women are in two, but I always go to the men, male prisons. And 2.9 million children in our country have an incarcerated parent. And this, of course, is statistically, they are more likely to end up in prison. And like you say, it affects communities. Whole communities are affected by this. And so many of these people are over-sentenced, stay in for excessive amounts of time, aren't given a chance to um, you know, be rehabilitated or make restitution, and are just feeding this monster of mass yeah. incarceration. Recidivism it, it, rate is so high in this country. Those people and go back to their communities for just a little bit and end up back in prison. Well, they learn to be criminals in there. You know, it's a crim they call it correctional. And so that's the biggest joke ever. It's like it's a criminal training ground. You have to learn to do that to survive. Now, Ross isn't because he, you know, we and that's one reason I go there and I, you know, he has a lifeline. But a lot of these people don't. And and sometimes they can't get a job. You know, so it, it's a terrible situation. I don't know the details of that law. I know the First Step Act was just passed, but you're talking about something different, I guess, right? Going back to you, what you were asking me. Yes, yes. Um, uh, the name for it, actually, it might be just a different name for the same thing. So it, yeah, Federal Christian, uh, Criminal Justice Reform. Um, okay, well, there was a big one, you know, or it was, a big st it was a, called the First Step Act. It just passed in Congress. Actually, Trump pushed it through. Yes, it's, it's the same one. It's the same okay. one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay, Mitch McConnell didn't want it uh, to go before Congress, but Trump Trump did. And he, he is very much about criminal justice reform. However, as good as it is for the people that it affected, I'll give you just a quick an, a personal anecdote. I know a family. I know the wife and uh, daughter and the guy named Jay, nonviolent drug offender. He's been in about 18 years. So what, one of the things they changed with the first step back was instead of life for your third strike, it was 25 years. So they're like, oh, my God, he's only got he can get out sooner. He can get out soon. You know, at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And then they found out it wasn't retroactive. Mm -hmm. So it's like saying, well, slavery's illegal now. All, you know, no one's going to be a slave from now on. But, oh, sorry, you were a slave before. Oh, you have to stay a slave. I mean, it's insane that it's not retroactive. These guys have already done tons of time. So it's a first step. It's And they had to fight, <laughs> fight like hell to get that. Mm -hmm. And um, but it needs there's a lot more that has to be done to make it a just system, to make it something that's really American. It's become un-American. It's a terrible thing what's going on in our country. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick short break and we'll be right back with uh, Lynn Albright.
Ross Ulbricht is serving a double life sentence without parole for all nonviolent charges. He is a first-time offender, and no victims were named at trial. Ross is condemned to die in a cage because he made a website called Silk Road that allowed people to exchange what they chose using Bitcoin as long as no third party was harmed. Please help. Sign and share the petition at freeross.org to commute Ross's sentence and bring him home. Awesome. Welcome back, everybody. This positive feedback loop. Uh, second half of our interview with Lynn Albright. And uh, we were just talking about the petition, the Free Ross Petition Foundation. Uh, Lynn, how's that going so far? Can you tell us a little bit about it and when you started it? Yeah, we started in July and we got 2018. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, of, tw- of 2018. And we got 60,000 signatures in the first month. And um, we are now at 140,973, so almost to 141,000. Um, my goal is half a million, but, you know, this is pretty good. Um, yeah. Usually at 100,000, they start taking petitions fairly seriously. And what I want to be able to do, it's it's no guarantee, a petition never is, but I want to be able to say to President Trump, half a million people think this is important. Half a million people think you should commute Ross's sentence. And uh, I think, uh, I've been told by many people, a fair number of them would vote for you if you did. But in any case, please sign his commutation. And we're not asking for a full pardon. Uh, and saying, oh, Ross did nothing wrong. We're just asking for him to commute this evil, excessive sentence that is over the top. It's double life plus 40 years without the possibility of parole for a first-time offender, nonviolent charges. This is puts us all in danger, uh, this kind of sentencing. This is government abuse of power. So all you have to sign the petition, you don't have to agree with what Ross created or any of that. Just that this sentence is out of line. It is so excessive. And I know there's a lot of students listening. Um, if you could, at, at, on your campuses or with your friends, please share it. Please ask them to sign it. It takes a, a minute or less. And um, it would really make a difference for us to um, be able to, you know, get a, I, you know, I'd really like to get a half a million. But any, any signature getting us closer to that is so great. And um, so please um, share it and sign it. So what's your we'll freeross.org sure. free slash petition or just go to freeross.org. There's a big red banner and mm-hmm. just click it. It goes right to change.org and sign it. And you we'll don't have sure. to be an American and mm-hmm. you just have to be 18. And so, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes too. that link so everyone can easily access yeah. it. Other, it's a worldwide effort. It's not just an American effort. So my question, uh, you've mentioned a lot uh, that, that, you know, this is a nonviolent crime. Uh, what is your idea, like putting aside guilt for, for the moment, if another person were charged with these same crimes, uh, you know, it, it could be these, this exact case or nonviolent crimes in general dealing with drugs, uh, what would be an appropriate sentence? Like what if President Trump said, okay, you know, we'll switch out this double life sentence for the sentence that's appropriate, what would that be? Well, I mean, the kingpin charge is bogus. So let's just forget that one. Um, I think that the sentence of double life plus 40 years without the possibility of parole for any nonviolent charge is horrible. And in fact, I think that uh, nonviolent offenders could easily put on, they could put an ankle bracelet on them and send them home to their families and save the taxpayer billions of dollars. But then all those pro, you know, federal guards and yeah. prison guards will run, you know, lose their jobs and our yeah. economy and major cities will suffer. So that's the <laughs> Well, what do you do in a, what do you do in like a techn cuz I'm thinking of like how does this play out, right? What do you do when you have new world. nonviolent crimes like all, you know, setting up websites or technologies or or bitcoin fraud or whatever it might be i, no, like I can't even imagine they're not a threat. Are, if they're not you know, a threat to the uh, person walking down the street they don't need to be in a cage but there are crimes you know, other like, than vi- like physical violence that really destroy communities so how do we deal with those types of crimes that you know could 
take you know the savings of like i'm thinking of even like mortgage fraud uh, i remember well you when know personally- we were buying a house it was a huge deal that people would would be threatened by like losing tens of thousands of dollars how do you deal and with there are such indeed, crimes? I would rather they were making restitution somehow than um, me, my taxes, of going to yeah. keeping them in a cage. Personally, I think that there's something to to be said for rest, you know, paying back. But in any case, look, it's the the there's a, a law called the um, oh god, um, Sentencing Reform Act. The Sentencing Reform Act. Congress passed it. It said a mm. a sentence should be sufficient, but no longer than necessary, meaning you know, no longer than necessary that they won't go out and do it again. Ross's is sufficient. He's not going to go build another Silk Road. He hasn't even been on the internet in over five years. But besides that, he's not that stupid. He's going to go do that again. He's not going to do that again. He's, you know, uh, it's sufficient. He's he's chastened. It is, he's not a threat. I think that's true of many, many people that are sitting. For many people, cell. the conviction itself, even even <coughs> if they were, you know, they got off with no sentence the conviction itself is jarring enough that they i'm not going close to that but for other people oh, yeah. i don't know like i'm thinking of um the fire festival i don't know if you've heard about oh yeah that, oh yeah. my I gosh about that. there's there's a documentary on there's several netflix at this point. i there are there are a few i watched the documentary that's on netflix i'm pretty sure this is obviously an unrelated completely <laughs> different um situation but he it was a was, nonviolent crime, and it was though, a, so. but it's nonviolent crime. So I'm, I, that's what comes to mind. And I remember the this guy still, while he was being uh, basically uh, you know getting ready to go into the court case for the first crime, kept doing additional internet fraud scams. scams. And I thought, well, why? Why is he doing that's this? Not very smart. <laughs> not a smart guy at all. You think, yeah. why do people do this? So. You know, how yeah, well, do you distinguish between the people who clearly, like, they've learned their lesson, like, well, I'm not touching that again, and the people who are like, there's something yeah. off there, and, you know? And on top of I that, mean, just to kind of piggyback off of that uh, before yeah. you, you respond, there's also the, the other side of it, which is, yeah, there's the correction side, they're the side that we yeah. want these people to become better contributing members of society, but there's the other people who say what they did hurt people. So, for example, people who were affected by illicit drugs traded on the on, uh, Silk Road. And I know that this actually did come up during Ross's trial. The families that said uh, there were casualties as a result of the Silk Road. Whether or not that tied back to him, that's a, that's a different conversation. But there are those who will want to see him behind, mm-hmm. behind bars. Uh, it didn't come up at his trial. It was brought up at his sentencing. It was never ruled on yes. by a jury. It was never convicted. Corrected. We had a yeah. We had a pathology report say that there was no way to, at all, to say that um, the deaths involved that they said were um, related to Silk Road, and um, actually the government was controlling the server at the point at which at least two of them died. So are they? They kept it open. Are they responsible? But in any case, no victims were named at trial at all. And, um, you know, I guess it's it comes down to we can say a liquor store owner is responsible for the guy who gets drunk and kills somebody or we can. I mean, it, it's right. it's it's called vicarious liability. It's like you are responsible for what other people do because you're somewhere up the chain. Uh, yeah. Where does that pharma. stop? Right. Like where do you know? Especially with huh? the opioid crisis, and, yeah. and uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals right. right now facing a lot of heat, um, and you know the opioid crisis in America is a really big deal, and yeah. that's a legal thing. They're selling right. it legally. So people are dying. Um, there was no fentanyl, by the way, on Silk Road. This, you know, basically the same theory would apply to Craigslist and murders or prostitution or drug sales on Craigslist or Facebook or murders on Facebook Live or jihadi activity on Google or. Uh, Amazon is being sued by a mom whose daughter bought cyanide on Amazon and killed herself with it tragically. So Jeff Bezos, I haven't seen him in court. You know, it's like and actually the federal government criminally indicted Federal Express because people were using FedEx to send illegal pharmaceuticals 
Fed, they finally dropped it. I mean, FedEx has deep pockets. They fought it. But it's basically saying FedEx is responsible for how people use it. They never, they've never indicted the uh, Postal Service, by the way. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> platforms but, uh, platforms are, be, are very skittish about liability on, on the, that they actually incur by having people produce or upload whatever they want. So YouTube, for example, has been under a lot of fire recently because there's been even even the most recent news I think from YouTube because they've been they've been losing advertisers left and right. One of the most recent things is that there were pedophiles on a lot of um, right. of the the chats or not chats mm-hmm. but on comments comment sections for videos. So they've just been removing videos and demonetizing videos or removing comments and demonetizing videos left and right mm-hmm. as a result of it. So they're aware that this can happen. And there, the difference is those are legal sites that exist and are available for people to say, hey, you can't do that and sue them easily. Whereas mm. a site like somewhere in the dark web, you can't really do that too because the whole point of it is it's the, the site itself is the only thing that holds itself liable. Right. It's supposed to be censorship proof right, or resistant. And that's what Ross had in mind to have a platform where – People can be free to choose what they want to buy and sell without, like you said, harming anyone at all. So, um, yeah, look, it might have been a naive idea, reckless idea. He was 26 years old, very idealistic. Uh, he didn't mean harm. Okay. It's like he's now 35. And that's the other thing about these sentences people mature and change. He's proven in, in prison that he is, I mean, he is tutored, led classes, helped people get their GED, and, um, get into college uh, remotely, he, um, there's a hundred letters on our website, four of them from fellow inmates saying how much Ross has contributed to their lives. It's, it, there's, you know, it, it becomes pretty apparent. Uh, his, his guards come up to me and go, why is he in here? Right. And even, you know, Hey, did you hear about, um, Trump pardon? So-and-so you need to get to Trump. He shouldn't be in here. Um, his counselor, his case manager, they all say this. So, you know, we keep people in prison long after it's necessary. And we didn't used to do this, not before the drug war. It was the prison population stayed at a pretty even 180,000. Now it's, like I say, 100% more. It's two point something million people and growing. Could you explain more about, I know you, at the very beginning, you talked about kind of his experience in federal prison. I think a lot of listeners, I mean, they it's uh, not everyone knows somebody who's in that situation. Uh, What have you learned? I mean, what he has told you or what you observe, what is that experience like? Yeah, it's really surreal. Tell you the truth. It's very weird. (laughs) When I leave, I want to go, Hey Ross, come on, let's go. You know, it's like, why does he have to stay? You know, it depends on the prison and it depends on the individuals that you're interacting with. You know, there's guards who are very nice and decent human beings and there's ones that are frankly sadists. So it's like it depends on who you got. But a lot of them are really decent human beings who, um, you know, are doing their job. And but it's very, of course, extremely bureaucratic, very the, the, the prison in, in Florence was dealing with much different issues than the one in Tucson where he is now. It was dealing with violence a lot. So there were stabbings and beatings and murders. And, you know, that was going on a lot. So um, lockdowns and, all, you know, it was very tough. Um, and so, you know, it's a different atmosphere in terms of, you know, the guards and their lives are also on the line than um, where he is now, which is the people are not. I don't think there's anybody in there that's violent or in there for any kind of violence. It's more that violence was, might be done to them. So it's a more, it feels a little more laid back, but I've only gone a couple of times and not by not laid back as according to the rules. They're very much about the rules and the bureaucracy. And some of it doesn't make any sense. And you go, I got to the point where my saying was, why ask why people go, why do they? And I'm like, why ask why this is just, it doesn't make sense, but okay. But uh, yeah, it, you get used to it kind of, you know, um, it's not something you'd want to do, you know, but you get used to it and you just go through your routine of going through, you go in and you have to go through a metal detector and, and all of that. There's kind of a process to get in, you know, you're all sitting in a big room and eating vending machine food and uh, yeah, which is another business that, that makes tons of money off the prisons. The same person owns all the vending machines and all the prisons in Colorado. I'm like, oh, that's a nice little uh, 
gig. Because I'm sure <laughs> you, know? you can't bring food in, and if you're there for a while, that's no. your your source. I can't even send food mm-hmm. like through, um, at, let's say Amazon Pantry or something. Mm-hmm. I can send yeah. books from Amazon, but they won't allow food. Any and food I think substance. it's because they make money off the commissary. I think that's why. So, what, you, what has he said he misses most while in there? I know it's he's been there for a few years now. Yeah, so what, he's working on his sixth year. Well, being with his 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 people he loves, that's totally at the top of his list. That's you know he misses he's missing out on family time, on friends. Um, he wants to have a life. He wants to get married. He wants to have a family. He, you know, he wants to make a contribution to the world. He is always thinking of stuff. He's reading uh, artificial intelligence and he's reading about physics and cause he, he was a physics uh, major and he um, has all these ideas and wants to contribute and he can't not really. He can, he can help people learn to read and he can help people get into high school or get their high school diploma. I mean, but he's a lot more to give than that. And um, so that's frustrating for him too, but I would, and nature, you know, he's such a nature boy. He's always loved the outdoors and thankfully, uh, in both prisons, actually, not in New York, where he was for almost four years, there was no outside. I mean, it was like a rooftop of a building in Manhattan and with walls. You couldn't all you could see was the sky. And he only got out a couple times a week. But now he can go outside pretty much every day. And he did it in Colorado, too, and watch the sunset and the sunrise and the mountains. And that makes a big difference. That sure. that helps, you know. So he loves nature, and then he misses that, and just you know wants to be out there with you guys. You know. Do you think the the disconnection between like the you know maybe the justice system or the judges and the juries, just their lack of knowledge of technology, or really, frankly, like social how society is functioning today with you know social media. How far removed are they from all of this? Because I feel like I've watched Congress hearings on like Facebook and like Google, and it just makes me feel like scared that these people are in control <laughs> of the major decisions that influence every single day of our lives. And, you know, yep. why can't we form a more direct democracy? I always wonder. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, look, I know from my own perspective, it's not easy, you know, to adapt, but a lot of them have no clue about technology and how it works and what's going on in in this world. I, you know, now, so yeah, I think you're right. And I think that the law is back in the 20th century and we're careening at a very rapid pace into the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And our, and I think our protections are being stomped upon, you know, like the fourth amendment issue that was up before the court, the Supreme court, because they're not keeping up. But I think that, you know, one of the judges on his appellate panel was 80 something years old. You know, is it, is it possible yeah. that us young people just don't get morals and ethics as well as these people do? Are we missing something? That, I, you know, I don't I think it's like- a generational thing. I work in social media and I've worked with people who are in their 60s who are amazing at just getting the organic reach on Facebook. And I love working with them. And then I have some people who are in their 20s who should know everything, you know, just by their age and who are just terrible at social media. And so I don't think it's necessarily a generational thing. Like there there was this book called The Digital Divide and there's an article written as well, talks about uh, you know, digital immigrants versus digital natives. Like, did you grow up with a cell phone in your hand? Or did you like, like me, I didn't have a cell phone until college, you know, so I'm kind of, I'm hybrid. I'm hybrid. But you know, neither did Ross for that. You know, yeah, yeah. But look, um, but, you know, it's not generational. I think it's, it's I disagree people that who it's, I, learn I it think, or they don't, they have it in their lives or they don't. There's yeah. exceptions to everything. Yeah. But I would say that if you, I think in general, mm-hmm. that most people near to my age, let's say people who I'm not old enough to be their mother, they yeah. a lot of them are very averse to a technology and um, but yeah, of course yeah, they didn't grow up with it. And a lot of people, yeah, they're not too bright or whatever, or they're not interested or whatever. But I think generally speaking, I think there is a certain but I, I do think the ju- courts are uh, a lot of the judges don't have a clue about it. That's and, and I think as far as morality, I don't find the courts moral at all. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of appalled at the courts. And um, 
you know, this judge gave Ross a draconian sentence. She took his life for, you know, she could have given him 20 years with the kingpin charge, which was tacked on at the end as a threat. And she chose life, double life. And in other words, she won't be happy till he leaves that prison as a corpse. This is not a moral woman, in my opinion. This is my opinion. So I agree with you. Uh, I, just coming from me, not speaking for positive feedback loop or anything, but I, I agree with you. Thinking about different strategies to make sure that at least this petition gets some real awareness. Obviously, it's already yeah. got tremendous awareness, but you know, how do we get that. it to the president? Right. Exactly. I think if it's big enough, and it is getting there, uh, that will help. And and so anybody who's listening, please help us. We're just, you know, we're, we've got a big fight here. And we're, again, we're not asking for Ross to have a full pardon. Just please commute this sentence to something that's reasonable. I mean, you know, time served would be great. Let's say it's 10 years, which was the first thing the prosecutors offered him. You know, that at least he'd have a life. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a <laughs> <the> ceiling. <laughs> they would so. recommend, yeah, you know, again. But, but that was, they brought up 10 years. So obviously they... It's in the ballpark. It's amazing and, how uh, the range can go, yeah. how wide the range can be. And there, there is a little bit of a discrepancy between 10 years and two lifetimes plus yeah, 40. That's a big yeah. range. It's a yeah. smidge. That's about that's the, the time it takes for it to lose copyright, right? <laughs> and the thing is, the biggest drug seller on Silk Road got 10 years. That's another so, question I had. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Finish that. Well, so that's, you know, I don't think it was about drugs anyway. I think it was about the Bitcoin. And, you know, I can go into it. It's Chuck Schumer. The, the dark web still exists. The dark web still, oh, yeah. still exists. Web, and it's something that probably bigger, it's bigger than ever. And mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, Ross's sentence really did set any example. I think the purpose was to set an example for others not to follow in the same suit. But I don't think that no, worked. Work. I guess I have a question <laughs> that my follow-up question is, you know, do you think there will always be something like Silk Road that will always be in existence? Or, you know, has Probably. this stopped it? Or do you always see something well, no, like that? No, I mean, that? there's many more dark net markets now. And um, I don't think they have the ethical constraints of Silk Road like no victims. And um, as far as I know, I don't go on the dark web. I don't really know. But um, after the sentence, just right after the sentence, it spiked. You know, it's, it's not um, work. It doesn't work. Absolutely doesn't work. I, I just want to clarify um, something that Ray said. The dark web and Silk Road are two separate things. Mm-hmm. The dark yes. web is simply yeah. a subset of the deep sure. web, which is basically anything that's not accessible through your regular yeah. browser. So you're not yeah. going to get on yeah. Chrome yeah. and get on the dark web. Yeah, you need, like, site is the same as the whole internet. Right. Yeah. It's saying the Amazon's the same as the internet. I mean, it's not. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. yeah. So and by the while way, the dark web may not go away necessarily. It's possible that uh, sites like the Silk Road could be taken down. Although oh, so yeah. far, that has they definitely have. not been the case. There's there's more now. Yeah, uh, I believe there's at least two. I think there's twelve. Was what I heard, but I could be wrong about that too. Um, and you know, the guy, there was one that came right after Silk Road, Silk Road Two, that was run by Blake Benthal. The, he was arrested. The government said, "Oh, um, this is bigger than Silk Road. It sells more drugs in a month, more listings." He never did any time. He was in custody for thirteen days. And he's out. I, it says so right on the prison uh, locator. Now, if Ross is so dangerous that he can't ever get out, ever, how come it's okay for Blake Benthol to be out? And I don't want him in. I'm not saying that. But I, I would like a fair treatment under the law, which is the law. Yeah, I've definitely and seen it, cases it, like that where I remember one of the one popular one on social media was when Khloe Kardashian was violating probation, I think. And she had to show up to prison, and they let her go three hours later because of, quote, overcrowding. And a lot of <laughs> people were really upset about that because they basically saw it as this person is famous and wealthy, and therefore she's being Get treated more treatment. leniently. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, why would she not serve the time that any other person yeah. would if they had violated probation? Mm-hmm. So what, no matter what the sentence length, is people want to see some sort of justice you know across the board so that's that's an interesting yeah well that's not happening in this case i think it was the bitcoin and in fact chuck schumer uh is very much involved with wall street and the financial powers but he was on the senate finance committee and the banking committee and he's the one 
that instigated this whole thing and called for the takedown of Bitcoin and the Silk Road. And then it was revealed um, a year ago by Snowden documents, The Intercept published it, that uh, the NSA was urgently tracking Bitcoin users a few months before Ross was arrested. They're supposed to be going after terrorists to protect us. They're not supposed to be going after Bitcoin users, but apparently they thought they were very, it was very threatening. And I believe they did. You know, as I said, Ross saw the, the potential for monetary freedom with Bitcoin, but I think Chuck Schumer did too, only he didn't like it. And it, you know, I think you just don't mess with the money. I don't think drugs, I mean, apparently not. I mean, the biggest drug seller who's convicted of that, he's the same offense level as Ross, exactly the same. 43 is the number. He's got 10 years. He's going to be out soon. You know, so uh, it, there was, there's, no, there's no fairness here at all. Lynn, tell us about Railroaded. Oh, yeah. So uh, thanks. Yeah, there's uh, if you go to freeross.org, there's a big there's a black banner. There's a red banner for the petition, a black banner for railroaded. And it's a very extensive um, treatment of the record. Not all not every single detail. It's impossible or very difficult, but it's got almost 400 footnotes, which um, because we wanted to make the record more accessible to people because it's so complicated. And we then we had a volunteer narrator say he would narrate it. So we have an audio component and you can listen to it on SoundCloud or iTunes and so on. And um, a little video that goes along with it if you want to sit at your computer. But um, it is quite riveting. People say, oh, you know, I just started and I couldn't put it down. And it's all based on the public record. We don't have access to the sealed evidence, the undisclosed evidence, the encrypted evidence that the government will not reveal. But we still have the public record, which is pretty shocking in itself. And you can really get an idea of how our, um, you know, investigations work and the competition between agencies and the corruption that was involved in this case. And uh, it'll, I'm sure that you will learn a lot if you read it or listen to it. Lynn, I think um, this has been a fascinating conversation. And uh, is there anything else you want to tell the audience well, I would just say, besides sign the petition, which and share the petition, which is like I'm a broken record, please do that. Please take the time. I just want to say that, you know, I think we're at a tipping point in history, honestly. I think that, um, and you guys have a, future, a longer future ahead of you than probably I do. Uh, and this is your, your future. This is your country. And it, we have to decide which way we're going to go here. You know, is it going to be more government intrusion and surveillance and um, control or more innovation and um, fairness and justice going on? And things have to change. They're going in a very alarming trend, in my opinion. So I just say pay attention. And this is one way you can say something about it, because Ross is being high profile. It will affect other people's sentences if his is commuted. This will be a great step towards more commutations and change in the sentencing laws. So please um, do the, you know, sign the petition. And thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank Talk you. about it. Thank you for coming on. It was awesome. very interesting. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on all of these different topics that surround what you've been thrown into <laughs> in your life. Yeah, so. I just scratched the surface, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're totally right. Like having this, uh, you know, potentially this clemency would have cascading effects on other cases and other just our society overall. So very interesting. Thank you for listening. And as always, stay crazy.